You're listening to the Rockford Symphony Orchestra podcast, where we look to inform about our upcoming events and give insight to behind-the-scenes happenings at the RSO. Welcome to the RSO podcast. I'm Margot Stedman, Education and Community Engagement Director, and I'm here today with Carl Raza, our Principal Bassoonist. Hello! So we were talking about this before we started recording, but I think it's really exciting to share that this is your 15th season with the RSO as our principal bassoon. It is. Yeah. I, I, we were just kind of doing the math. And uh, when, when did you start with the RSO? And I realized uh, 2007, 2008 was my first year. So it's been 15 years, folks. Yay! That's You're stuck with me. That's amazing. Well, we wouldn't want it any other way. And we are also just talking a little bit about all your experience, how you've been involved for so long in playing in chamber groups, being a teaching artist, teaching, playing with orchestras, and now we have the pleasure of having your talents to program this beautiful upcoming chamber concert. Oh, I'm so excited about it, too. I'm so excited about it. So I think without further ado, let's just kind of dive in. Tell us a little bit about the process. How, how did you get on board with this chamber concert? Oh, gosh. Okay. So, well, how do I begin with this? The first piece that I programmed, I sort of, it has been sort of a bucket list piece of mine for a number of years now, the, the Francais divertissement for bassoon and strings. For some time, I've been tossing around the idea of like, you know, I should really email Michelle and be like, hey, if you could ever find a place to, to put this piece on a chamber concert with RSO, I'd love to do it. But, you know, I... <laughs> In typical Carl fashion, I never got around to actually writing that email. And um, and then she approached me this fall about being a, a program consultant for the, the January Chamber concert. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. And can I play Francais? <laughs> so that's sort of how that worked out. That was the first piece that I, you know, have been sort of on my back burner, like, gosh, I, I need to find a I need to find a place to play this sometime. And it's beautiful. I listened to it and it's just the, there's a playlist on the website, so if people haven't listened, they should. But it's just this haunting melody. I cannot wait to hear it in the church. I think it it's gorgeous. I was not familiar with it before I saw it on this program, and I went and listened, and I was like, wow, this is... I can see why it's a bucket list piece for you. Yeah, yeah. There are four movements, and the second movement is um, is very slow and very haunting. And as my mother would say, it's very haunting. It's in a minor key. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the other movements are, are very, um, you know, buoyant and bouncy and effervescent and, you know, maybe a little more virtuosic than you might be expecting from a bassoon provides a, a fun challenge for me as well. Well, I know that when you played on one of our art museum chamber concerts last season, we had comments from patrons. I don't know if you've ever heard the bassoon solo like that or heard it singled out where they could actually hear it. And it grew quite a fan base. People were like, I didn't know I love the bassoon. So I think it's exciting to feature it and for people to hear all the many colors of the instrument and the tone and just in a way that we don't get to when you're back in the orchestra. I, I love that too. Part of my mission in life is to uh, demonstrate to the world that the bassoon is indeed a real instrument. Yes. Um, and we only step out in the orchestra every so often. You know, Tchaikovsky wrote some terrific bassoon solos and Stravinsky and Shostakovich. You know, I could go on. So we, we certainly do get our moments of glory in the orchestra. But, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even know they know what a bassoon is. Um, and it's something just... you hear everywhere, but you don't know if you know it. So I was just thinking that we we didn't talk about talking about this, but now I'm kind of like, give us some tidbits on the bassoon. What do we what do we not know that we don't know about the bassoon? 
Well, okay. So um, here's my little, um, you know, when I when I'm getting my hair cut or if I'm in a grocery store and people say, "What's a bassoon?" Um, yes. Well, it's the lowest of the woodwinds, and it's the funny looking one. Um, and a lot of people <laughs> think it, that when they're thinking oboe, they're thinking bassoon. They call the bassoon an oboe. Interesting. Um, but they're actually thinking of the bassoon. Um, so it's it's the funny looking one. It sticks up in the air. It's got the little white ring at the top. The the mouthpiece sticks out, um, and you hold it across your body and how else do I say it? It's it's rather funny looking um, compared to, you know, some of the other woodwind instruments. And it's a double reed instrument. Um, so we make our own reeds and, you know, all this little people, craft. Yeah. I don't know if people know that, that you double reed players, you all make your own reeds. Oh, yes. It's um, it's quite a process. Um, it, it's our it's our lot in life. Um, but yes, we start with little little pieces of cane that get folded and cut and shaved and split and all so kinds of other things. So how long does it take to make a reed on oh, average? Gosh. Um, it's, it's hard to say because we make them in big batches and many of them don't survive. Uh, okay. so it's like fish or something and that you make um, a couple of dozen and mm, maybe three or four of those couple of dozen are really good concert reeds. And wow. the rest are either garbage or eh, maybe serviceable. For practice. For or, practice or, or okay. something. But yeah, it's um it's quite a process that it's just part of the gig for well, when oboes and bassoons. When do you start learning how to do that? Because I wouldn't think that every middle school or high school bassoonist is making reeds. No, 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 no. Um, Probably not. And it's it's not exactly a practical skill for a high school double reed player necessarily because they have so many other things to juggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that I, you know, I learned about it in high school at mm-hmm. summer camp and dabbled a little bit. But um, when I got to college or you know music school that was when my bassoon teacher was like okay well the training wheels come off you can't buy them from me you can't buy them from your old teacher you can't buy them from anyone else you have to make them yourself and this is going to be painful for about a year but wow sink or swim this is i will help you but here's that was that was when i learned okay well so it's like a year-long Kind of apprenticeship with the teacher. In a way, yeah. And, you know, by the end of that year, we could all kind of survive on reads that we made for ourselves. Um, you know, it, was, it wasn't pretty at all times, but, you know, after about a year of, of um, making them, you kind of figure out what to do. But you also have to accept that no matter how many years you've been doing this, so many of them are just not going to survive no matter what you do because you're trying to make a, a vibrating thing out of a plant and you want it to do this very specific <laughs> thing um, and that plant just, you know, might not be up for it. Wow. Okay. I feel like that makes you all have more patience maybe in life. Maybe you guys, that's why you're like a more chill section. Maybe. I don't know. Or unclear. <laughs> unclear. Okay, back to the programming. What another thing I love about this program is the diversity on it. I think diversity of eras, diversity of composers, diversity of types of music. It's really exciting. So we talked about the Francais. What else is on this program? Okay, um, so we also have um, a movement of the uh, Bacchianus Brasileiros Number no. Six by Villa Lobos. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a Brazilian composer, and he wrote this, this series of pieces for different instruments that was inspired by, you know, that sort of classical Bach counterpoint. Mm, yes. Um, and he married that with the, um, you know, the popular Brazilian music form, the choro, which is, you know, very virtuosic and quick and technical um, and, and also very yearning and sighing. 
Um, mm. So you'll hear lots and lots of notes from the bassoon and the flute on that piece. Um, and it has a lot of that, you know, just running 16th notes like a Bach piece. But it also um, has this undeniably South American yearning to it or Central yeah. American yearning to it. It's, it's really wonderful music. Lovely. All right. And then we're doing Valerie Coleman. Oh, yes. Valerie Coleman. So the first Valerie Coleman piece I ever played was just this past fall. Wow. Um, And I've known about her or rather her first group, the the Imani Winds. Um, They were founded in the late 90s um, and kind of came to the fore in the early 2000s as this, uh, you know, diverse uh, woodwind quintet. Uh, based out of New York. Um, and the the oboist and the bassoonist in that group were Oberlin graduates. And, you know, I, as, as an Oberlin person myself, I, I felt a little bit of a kinship mm. with, oh, cool, these these double reed players are, are doing cool things in the world. Yeah. Um, and so I've been following, you know, I've been following the Imani Winds for some time. And Valerie Coleman was the the founding flutist of that, that woodwind quintet. And it turns out she's also a prolific composer um, and writes wonderful music um, for for mostly for woodwinds, but she she's written for everything. And I um, I was listening to you know just kind of listening around to things uh, to see what would fit with this program, and and I, I came upon this piece of hers called Ruby Spheres. Um, there are these three movements, and the third movement really stuck out to me as. This really wonderful, um, you know, jazz bebop, you know, homage to Charlie Parker, if you will. Yeah. And the concert is called Music by Candlelight. And for some reason, I just thought of, you know, I, I felt like I was sitting in a, a smoky basement bar on Ooh. 52nd Street in New York in the 1940s when I was listening to this. So I was just like, this is so, this is cool. so much fun sounding, hard sounding actually, but but it sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I think that diversity in our art form is, is very important. Um, and we have a responsibility to amplify diverse voices. And I just love this music. So I was like, we, we've got to put this on there too. I love the visual of the 40s kind of bar that's very fine so maybe not candlelight maybe the candles we're talking about are cigars and cigarettes in the 40s i'm not sure but i i, I thought you know sm- smoky bar candles it, yeah, there are candles dim on the lighting. tables dim, dim lighting. lighting yes hazy there we are dim light and haze okay so then we're going i've already told you that this the beethoven piece is one of my favorite pieces that you've programmed. Tell us your take on it. Oh, wonderful. Well, who doesn't love Beethoven? So since we're the Rockford Symphony, I I wanted to bring something of a symphonic experience to our chamber music concerts. And the Beethoven Septet is really in so many ways, a portable symphony. Um, we have five strings and three three winds. Um, so it's like vo- a little mini chamber orchestra. It is a little mini chamber orchestra. The only thing we don't have is percussion, but I don't believe there was even percussion in his first couple of symphonies anyway, at least not the first. Um, so we have two violins, viola, cello, bass, clarinet, bassoon, and horn. Um, so it really is a mini symphony, um, and it's uh, it's in six movements. Not all of them are very long. Don't worry, um, <laughs> um, but it really has that that kind of. Um, it, it has a lot of elements of Beethoven's writing for symphony. He wrote this around the same time as he was writing his second symphony, right? 1799, 1800, right at the turn of the century. So it has a lot of that, you know, um, I like to call it the clarisoon, um, the, the blend of the clarinet and the bassoon that you hear in the symphonies all the time. 
Um, and it's part of that sound that, you know, you know the bassoon, you just don't know you know it. Yeah. Um, that clarinet and bassoon blend, it's, it's everywhere in here. Well, the reason that it's my favorite mm-hmm. is because it, I feel like I'm in a Jane Austen novel when I listen to this piece. It's, it just, to me, I feel like I'm, I love Jane Austen. I picture myself in a beautiful Regency gown, in a beautiful house at a house party. And this is the music that's on in the background. This is the soundtrack of every Jane Austen novel for me. That, that's that's exactly right, actually. And it was and written in that time period. They actually share a birthday. And it was last Saturday, December 16th, on our Holiday Pops concert. Ooh. It was, ba- they're five years apart in age. Did Ooh, you know I didn't this? realize that they were that yes. contemporary. So they actually are contemporaries. Okay. And this piece to me is just everything. I love well, yeah, it. And that is exactly right. And that this um this piece is is based on, you know, the 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 serenade, the the art form of the serenade. And serenades were what was played in in for royalty. This is royal yes. music for played played for kings and queens at high teas and balls and dinner all parties, the things I cocktail love. parties. So so the, it, the, that's exactly right. And all the things that we love. Yes. Yes. And this is the music that that would have been playing. They didn't have phonographs then. They brought their own symphonies or and their yeah, own chamber groups. Seven players, portable, can fit in a nice little niche of some kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And there are some, you know, really wonderful, you know, regal moments. I'm thinking especially of the the minuet. Um, the third movement is, you know, especially stately, I think. Yes. So I I'm extra excited about that piece. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I'm excited to play it too um, in that, well, I love Beethoven um, and and it's such a, a terrific piece and I thought it would be, you know, a nice way to bring a mini symphony to a chamber concert in, in Rockford. Yay. I have one final question to just talk a little bit bigger picture about chamber music. How is it different for you as a musician preparing for it? Why is it important to play chamber music? I mean, we see the orchestra on stage all the time. Chamber is something we don't get to experience that often in Rockford. Tell us a little bit more on your thoughts on that. Oh, gosh. Okay. So, well, um, one of the things is that, well, we don't have a conductor to tell us how how fast or how slow to go or when to take time or when to speed up. We have to make those decisions ourselves, mm-hmm. and you know we have to we have to come to an agreement. So mm-hmm. you know we we all sort of have to arrive at rehearsal. We, we we all have to be prepared with our own parts, but we also have to approach things with a very open mind. And mm. you know somebody somebody may have strong feelings about how something should go, and you know, somebody may disagree with it. But you know sometimes we do have to do a little bit of negotiating. Like oh, I I'd really like to take a little bit of time here because if we don't slow down, then we really miss a moment here. And the collaboration. You, aspect. So there there really is a, a, a it's a different style of collaboration. Mm. Um, it's not to say that uh, we're Working with a conductor is not collaborative because it, it absolutely is. But, you know, we're all deferring to the conductor in in the symphony. And, and chamber music sounds like it's more of a democracy. It's a bit more democratic, yes, mm-hmm. um, in, in that way. Um, and... Well, you you also have to have really um, it's it's really great to play chamber music because it really sharpens your skills. You have mm. to have an excellent um, internal metronome, mm. and you have to be able to you know hear what's going on around you and not just be thinking like, all right, well here's the bassoon part, and I played it in time and in tune, so there you have it. Um, you're you much really, more exposed. You're exposed, and and um, and you have to be very very flexible mm. as well. That's sort of a, a challenge that I, I, I really like. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like um, mm-hmm. there's something very um, gratifying about sort of like 
everybody holding hands and and staying in sync together yeah. um, without without any words and with our own just with our own nonverbal cues. Yes. So that's something the audience can be watching too is how are you all enacting that democratic process in the moment during the concert. I think it's something you might not be watching for if you didn't know that difference. I think a lot of people think, oh, they've rehearsed it and they're showing up and they're playing it and going. But the beautiful thing about experiencing live music and a live performance is that something could change in that moment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that we're all experiencing it together. Yep. With yep. you, the yes. musicians. And you can you can even look around too, um, in that you'll you'll probably see more musicians making eyes at each other, um, not in a suggestive way, um, j- but <laughs> you know, just checking in with each other and trying to read each other's uh, musical cues, mm-hmm. um, because we're not all just focused on the conductor and trying to mirror his mm-hmm. or her movements. We're we're trying to check in with one another, like, oh, the vi- I'm I'm with the violin here, so I should be looking over there and make sure I'm synced up with them, or oh, uh, this is a cello and bassoon duet, and then. And the, then the viola che- joins us or something like, you know, you're sort of always thinking like, who, who am I dancing with right now? Oh, that's a lovely way to think of it. A dance that you're changing partners with. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. the, the, the bassoon gets to dance with everybody in, in some sort of way where we're, we're rarely the star of the show, but we partner well with, with yes. many. Yes. I love that. Are there any other final thoughts that we should share with our audience as they're preparing to come to this concert? I don't know. I just I, this is um, some of my favorite music to play, uh, and, and most of it I have not played before. So I'm I'm really excited for this. Um, in the in the spirit of coincidences, um, we talked about this being my um, my 15th year mm-hmm. of being a, an RSO member. Um, it will be very close. The, the day of the concert, January 14th, 2024, will be very close to the 30th anniversary of my very first. Um, bassoon event if you oh. will i went to um i my my teacher at home in new hampshire janet polk she would do this um this bassoon day at university of new hampshire and she would she would have vendors and she would have lectures and she would give a recital in the afternoon and i had just started playing the bassoon a couple of months before and i was this brand new fresh-faced you know three-month bassoon player showing up at the university for this this, this big bassoon day and it Gosh, if I if I look back at the calendar, it, it was mid January wow. on a Saturday, not a Sunday, mid January of 1994 um, that I you know was a, a newly minted bassoon player and attending my very first live bassoon recital. So it's sort of like a this is a 30 year a 30 year landmark of my a my milestone. bassoon origin story, if you will. Yeah, to be programming this and doing all of these pieces. Oh, I love that! What a beautiful connection. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, sure. Thanks. Well, if you don't have tickets and you're listening, you can get them at rockfordsymphony.com. You can call the box office. You can purchase them online or you can come to the door the day of the concert, which you already said is January 14th. It's at 3 p.m. It's at First Lutheran Church in Rockford. And we hope to see all of you there. Thanks so much, Carl, for sitting down to talk about all this. Oh, yes. Thanks for having me. And I hope to see you all there.